will be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 from the Tree of Life version. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with complete humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Ruach in the bond of Shalom. There is one body and one Ruach, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one immersion, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given in keeping with the measure of Messiah's gift. Therefore, it says, when he went up on high, he led captive a troop's of captives and gave gifts to his people. Now what does he went up mean except that he went that he first went down to the lower regions of the earth? The one who came down is the same one who went up far above all the heavens in order to fill all things. He himself gave some to be emissaries, some as prophets, some as proclaimers of the good news, and some as shepherds and teachers to equip the Kedoshim for the work of service, for building up the body of Messiah. This will continue until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of Ben Elohim, to mature adulthood, and to the measure of the stature of Messiah's fullness. As a result, we are no longer to be like children, tossed around by the waves and blown all over by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men with cunning and deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all ways into Messiah, who is the head. From him, the whole body is fitted and held together by every supporting ligament, the proper working of each individual part produces the body's growth for building itself up in love. May the Lord have a blessing upon the reading of his word. The past few Shabbatot, we have been considering what it means to be united. And um, I imagine that for each person here, there are differing, differing opinions um, so, basic, basic definition is, um, what is unity? Is it animal? Is it mineral? Is it vegetable? Um, seriously, you know, when we think of unity, we usually think about the negative, you know. Um, a unity, unity is a situation where people don't fuss and scream and holler at each other, Okay. That's part of the picture. Um, however, there's got to be the positive because if you don't have the positive, then there is the inclination to do the hollering at each other. You know, what I would consider the being sprayed with um, itching powder. You know how it is? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I showed a clip from one of John Wayne's... Uh, movies, westerns, called McClintock, in which um, there was a discussion, a 
got pretty heated, and before you knew what happened, uh, fists were flying, and everybody was slipping down into the mud. And that typically is what happens when there is disunity, and we'll talk some, some more about that. We addressed that some um, a couple weeks ago. But it seems to me that if we understand what unity is, and if we pursue it, if we point our noses in that direction, we would be much less inclined to engage in disunity. And I'm going to have the opportunity this coming week to learn, to get some advanced lessons in unity. I'm flying tomorrow to a conference in New York City called Bora Park Symposium, where we're going to have Jewish and Arab followers of Yeshua getting together to discuss uh, issues regarding the Middle East conflict. Um, you might be thinking about praying for us. <laughs> that the Ruach, the Spirit of God, would uh, hover over us and that what needs to be expressed would be expressed uh, the truth in love as we see in this chapter. And by the way, for me personally, um, being around Arab believers was fairly, fairly natural to some extent. Uh, I grew up in Israel, and uh, from time to time we would have Arab believers in Yeshua come and participate in our worship services. And there was wonderful connection with them. In fact, when we left Israel uh, in 1964, uh, there was a village uh, comprised mostly of Arab believers, and they threw a big, big party for us, sort of as a farewell, and that always stays in my mind. So I recognize the fact that there can be unity, and furthermore, as we've been looking at the last few Shabbatot, um, not only there can be unity, but there has to be unity. Why? Yeshua in John chapter 17 over and over again tells us that just as he is one, his followers need to be one. Let me read to you a couple of statements that we saw a few weeks ago. John 17, 11, Holy Father, protect him by the power of your name so that they may be one as we are one. John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 17, 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. And then 23rd verse, may, may they be brought to complete unity complete or perfect unity, to let the world know that you sent me. So here, Yeshua, in his prayer to the Father, in his conversation with the Father, is laying a basic reality, and that is that just as God is one, you know, as we recite each Shabbat, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, just as we recite the Shema, that the Lord is one, Yeshua here, and in other places, not only suggests that his followers be one, but demands that his followers be one. 
And so, obviously, unity, whatever unity looks like, is normal. Everything else, frankly, is sick and out of order, which means that God wants to bring it into a state of unity. And we see here from John 11, from John 17, rather, that this is something that Yeshua intercedes and prays for us on an ongoing basis. I don't know. Do you know? Do you recognize the fact that Yeshua is praying for you? I mean, I, I know that may sound, may stretch your thinking a little bit here, but that's what the Word of God says. In Hebrews 7.25, Yeshua is interceding for us, and because of that, He's able to, to redeem us fully and completely. So part of the picture, a major part of the picture is for us to be one, first of all, because God is one and He demands that we be one. And part of the picture as well is that we, as followers of Yeshua, exhibit God's oneness and then that the world around us will see just who God is in our life. Not because we're cute and clever and awesome and all of that, but simply because the power of God is at work in us. The Spirit of God is the one who brings about unity in us. Even though our natural inclination is to fuss over anything and everything, folks, reality is, in a congregation like ours, in a mishpacha like ours, the potential for disunity is huge. Because we're so diverse. We have diversity of age. We have diversity of gender. We have diversity of ethnicity. We have diversity of background spiritually. We have diversity in terms of our political leanings. And on and on and on. And if we were to look for that perfect agreement, homogeneity, uh, it would never happen. And furthermore what would happen is that we would start to duke, take our dukes and, and, and bop each other because we, we differ. So here at Yeshua Tzion, we endeavor to focus and draw ourselves together around who Yeshua is, just like we sang earlier today. We're here to glorify Yeshua. And second of all, we're here to pursue the vision that God has given us, and that is to be part of what God wants to do with the people of Israel and through the nation of Israel, what he wants to do with the whole world, particularly fellow believers in the body of Messiah in the church. So the Lord has given us a vision and we're committed to doing that. And a major part of that is unity. You, I'm sure you've heard the Scripture in 1 Corinthians that speaks about, that exhorts believers not to be unequally yoked. And the picture of that simply is that in those days, um, animals were yoked together so that they can do a particular job. And, and so you, you had to have two animals, typically two oxen, yoked together so that they would pull together and, and do the work that was needed, often uh, plowing, plowing the fields. And otherwise, what you would have is one animal pulling this way 
and one animal pulling the other way. That often is what you see. And so unity for us has to be functional. It's something that involves our efforts. It's something that involves our time and energy. But it, first of all, again, begins with the fact that God is engaged in working to bring about unity. That regardless of how many differences of opinion there are, that is out of order, especially when we start to, to fuss and fight with each other, that is out of order. God wants to bring about unity. That brings honor to him. So Paul in chapter in this chapter in Ephesians tells the believers the following thing, make every effort to keep the unity of the Ruach, the Spirit, through the bond of peace. Now, there are a couple of things I want to point out here. First of all, that the Spirit of God is the one that initiates the unity. Why is it that you and I can be together and have some degree of unity? Well, it's not merely because we choose to do that. First of all, it is because the Spirit of God brings us together, knits our hearts together. And so that's step one, is the supernatural working of God bringing us together. And upon that, then Paul says, see to it that you are energetic, eager to guard that unity. Guarding, by the way, is, is a word that comes from the Torah. I mean, it, it all does in one, to one degree or another, but it, it means uh, to stand guard and see to it that you, uh, that you avoid engaging in things that do not promote unity. On one hand, on the other hand, that you endeavor to promote unity. Make every effort. It takes energy, and yes, there is inertia pushing against us because we are much, we're fairly inclined not to walk in unity. So the question then is, why bother? If it takes effort, why bother? Why not give in to our natural inclination and uh, fuss with each other? And by the way, I'm not talking about the, the overt screaming and yelling. What I'm talking about primarily is the going behind people's backs and, and jabbering and uh, character assassination and so on and so forth, which, of course, none of us ever have engaged in, right? Okay, I'm not sh asking for a show of hands. We're all guilty to one degree or another. We're all guilty. And um, that comes natural. You know, so-and-so aggravates me, then I'm inclined to go talk to someone, typically my wife, and then somebody else, and they go and talk to somebody else, and they go talk to somebody else. And uh, that does not promote unity. And yet, God challenges us. He says in verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. One Lord, one faith, one, one immersion, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. Do you get that? 
God's strategy is for unity. 1 Corinthians 12, we were all immersed by one body, by one spirit into one body. In other words, the moment you said, I do to Yeshua, and signed on the dotted line, you became part of a larger international unit, uh, uh, unit body of Jews and Gentiles and, and folks from any and all kinds of backgrounds. That's the plan, folks. You know that if, if you are promoting unity, if you're pointing your nose in that direction, you are working in the direction that God is working. And so we know that when we are endeavoring to do the work of God, He delights in it and He blesses us. It's a win-win proposition. Although initially we are resistant to it, there's a lot of inertia. Paul then goes on to say to each one of us, grace has been given as Messiah has apportioned it or divvied it. Now, we understand grace most of the time as, as being the English translation for chesed, which is the, um, one, the main Hebrew word for God's love for his people. Chesed can be translated as covenant committed loyal love. Grace for a lot of times is described as God's unmerited favor. But here in Ephesians, we see that grace is something that is different. Um, yes, God is involved, of course. But um, here, it invo- it, grace means the fact that God calls us to do something that is clearly beyond us, and he somehow gives us the power, the ability, and the wisdom to carry it out. And that if we understand that that grace, that power is from God, we step back and say, wow, Lord, this is not me. I'm inclined to, uh, to fuss. I'm inclined to talk badly. Um, I'm not inclined to promote unity. And Paul here is saying that each one of us has been given grace, the ability to serve God together. And that there are times when you step back and you recognize, Lord, who am I? You know, I don't know if, if you've ever experienced that, but Lord knows I certainly have. Um, I have cultivated an, a network of friends in ministry who are very gifted. And I often look at them and say, wow, Lord, uh, thank you that you've given me such gifted friends, but who am I? Paul, the apostle, Paul the Shaliach himself came to that point. And it's hard for us to get our arms around that. But later in this book, in chapter 3, he says, I became a servant of this good news by the gift of God's grace given given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Messiah. You know, this is one of these 
wow moments for Paul when he steps back and says, Lord, um, you picked me. That's, that's amazing. Um, I am by no means worthy or capable of doing what you've called me to do. Yet you've called me and gifted me, I who was a wicked scoundrel. And when you think about it, we usually think about Paul as the amazing apostle who goes from here, there, there, and everywhere, and preaches, and, and handkerchiefs touch him, and people touch the handkerchiefs, and, and they get healed, and so on and so forth. We forget the fact that Paul started out as a scoundrel. I mean, zealous, yes, but he apparently did not bat an eyelash in having people taken, thrown into, into jail, and having people killed. It didn't seem to bother him until God grabbed him by the lapel, by the collar, knocked him off his donkey and said, Shaul, Saul, we're gonna have, we have a different plan for you. So, for any and all of us who serve God in any capacity, and I like to think that all of us here have a desire to serve God in some capacity, whether it's big, whether we have a huge vision, whether it's small, that each one of us understands the basic reality that God has called us to serve Him. I hope I'm not... Um, speaking in, in a foreign language here. And so we engage in serving the Lord and we recognize that there are people who are much more brilliant, much more articulate, much more charismatic, much more dynamic, etc., etc. And we don't park there. We don't do the comparison routine. We simply say, God... You're amazing, you're marvelous. Um, I know who I am and who I'm not, and yet you decided to call me and, and give me gifts so that I can serve you. And folks, this is something that, let, let me mount a soapbox here for a few minutes. Um, this is something that grieves me when I hear believers talking about the gifts that God has, the spiritual gifts that God has given them, they're so self-focused and self-oriented. I have these gifts, I have to use them or else I'm gone. If you don't recognize these spectacular gifts and put me to work immediately, I'm gone. Uh, if you don't give me the honor that I deserve, I'm gone forgetting the basic fact that Yeshua's model for us is to simply serve in humility according to His plan, according to His purpose, according to His strategy. In humility. And this brings me to the issue of unity again because unity has to do with interdependence. Just like Floyd was talking earlier to the kids, you know, if, if the uh, thumb goes on strike, what do you think would happen to the hand's ability to grasp things? Or if the tongue goes on strike, what do you think would happen to my ability to continue this message? 
That happens from time to time. Not too many times, fortunately. Interdependence means that, yes, God has gifted us. Yes, he wants us to serve, but it needs to be service together towards the common goal, the common vision that he's given us. And the basic reality is simply is this. If God has brought you to Yeshua Tzion and drawn you and knit your heart together somehow, united you with us, then part of the picture is that he has a plan for you and a calling for you and a goal for you to serve him here. And then until you do, the rest of us are going to suffer and are, are going to be limited in our ability to grow into maturity and to flourish and do what God has called us to do. And by the way, it is not our calling, those of us who have been called into the full-time ministry, it's not our calling to do the work of the kingdom of God. Now, I know that sounds like a scandalous statement. But notice in verse 11 what, what Paul says. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, proclaimers of the good news, some to be shepherds and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for the work of service. Or as the Tree of Life version puts it, the Kedoshim, the saints, to do the work of the kingdom so that the body of Messiah might be built up. In other words, our responsibility, those of us who are in spiritual leadership, is not to do the work of the kingdom of God as much as it is to be equippers to be coaches, to be cheerleaders, to be encouragers for you to serve God according to what he's given you so that we would grow into greater unity and greater maturity. As long as it's not about me, it has to be about us. And we all have been called to serve the Lord together. Now, sometimes we, we want we have the attitude of God. Unless it is something exalted and spectacular, I'm not interested. Well, look at the Torah in Numbers chapter four, in those chapters that speak about the work in the tabernacle. Do you think it was all spectacular? It was all highly spiritual? A lot of it was very simple, mundane, busy, messy including just folding the tents, um, cleaning the, the altar from the mess on it, the ashes. That was sanctified. It was kadosh. It was work unto God. Yeah. It was the work of ministry. By the way, ministry, the Greek word diakonia, just simply means service. Service. 
And remember that whatever we do for God typically begins with small steps. Yeshua said in the parable of the talents to the, to the good servants, you're good and faithful. Why? Because you've taken the, the little that I've given you and you've been faithful with it and it has increased and I'm going to put you in charge of many things coming to the master's joy. In other words, you enter into a partnership with God because you realize that you're working for the Lord, you're doing his work, and even if it looks very mundane, even if you don't have a whole lot of people coming and, and say, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so cute and clever. Um, the, Lord, the Lord keeps the score, his, his video camera moves up and down and notices exactly what it is that you're doing. And what Paul tells us here, Shaul tells us, is that as each one of us serves this interdependence, we grow into maturity in the Lord. And by the way, maturity, think about what maturity means. Well, if you're a parent or you've been around kids, you know that day one, they start with goo goo gaga and, and they... Um, walk, sort of. You know, I remember our grandson. Um, his method of walking was sliding on his tush. It got him where he wanted to go, but um, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't go from zero to 60 in two seconds. And over a period of time, he learned how to walk, and he learned how to run, and he learned how to do these things. That's called maturity. That's growth and development. And just as it is physically, it has to take place spiritually. Amen. You know, we get to know who God is. We, we learn about Him. We learn about His power. We learn what He wants us to do. We learn how to engage with Him. And we learn how to engage with each other. That, folks, is maturity. What the Word of God says is that here, we who are part of a body, a particular body, as we do that, we come into maturity, not some kind of um, philosophical maturity like goodness and beauty and unity and so on, but very practical. We learn how to serve the Lord together. And yes, we know each other's shtick. We understand that each one of us has foibles and things that are kind of quirky. All of us. <laughs> Foible is uh, goofy things, Id idiosyncrasies. Um, and yet, we learn to do what Yeshua tells us to do, and that is come into unity together. We move together in the direction the Lord has ordained for us, and we don't bail when someone steps on our bunions. Now, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and I'm not going to go into description, physiological description, what bunions are. If you don't know what they are, you can Google it. It'll give you, it'll give you maps and, and diagrams. 
Um, it simply means aggravating somebody. doesn't take much. You know, you come to service, someone didn't sleep well, they look at you funny, and, and you come away with the sense of, you know, they really don't like me. They're, 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 uh, they're afraid of me. They can't stand me, and so on and so forth. And you start to pile that stuff, and eventually it explodes. And as it explodes, it's not particularly pretty. And so, rather than detach, which is what we often do, we draw closer together. Why? Because that's Yeshua's way. That's Yeshua's way. When, When he was persecuted and when he died for us, he held out his arms. And that's God's way, folks when we aggravate each other, when we step on each other's bunions, we don't move away, we get closer. Why? Because that's, that's what God wants us. And we learn to love each other because that's what the Word of God says, that Messiah's love covers a multitude of sins. And Lord knows, you take a bunch of us and there will be a multitude of sins. But we know that that's what the Lord wants. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're told, let us consider how we may spur one another unto, toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I mean, that was a problem even back then. People get aggravated and irritated. They say, I'm out of here. And this is just like the place that I had gone to before where I was um, hurt and, and harassed. And that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to meet with my little family and have our own deal. I hear that, folks, again and again. It, it is distressing. It is distressing. Not because it hinders... Are the growth of our mishpacha, and of course it does, first and foremost, it hurts the individual who takes that route. Because God's plan was never for us to be off on our own. God's plan was, including during the times that we aggravate each other, which happens, was for us to engage with one another Eyeball to eyeball. And, and learn to grow together into maturity in the Lord, maturity in our relationship with Him, maturity in our relationship with each other. And yes, there are those times when truly God Himself would say to you, your time here is has ended. I have a different assignment. But make sure that it really is God saying that to you. That it really is not your your frustration. But that you really are hearing from God. Joy and I, like everybody else, we've had our our experience, negative experiences in a previous congregation and 
It was difficult. But we didn't leave until we sensed from the Lord that we had an, an assignment, a new assignment that we could step to. Learn to recognize the difference between fleshly frustration and holy restlessness. When God, when the Spirit of God spurs you and puts a fire under you and really is the Spirit of God, then you say, okay. And one of the things you want to do is, is come together with those who are, with whom you are in fellowship and walk in the light, be transparent and say, we're sensing that God wants us to move to a different assignment. We think that this is what he has in mind. And would you please pray for us? And we will. And we've done that, folks. But please, 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 don't confuse holy restlessness with personal and fleshly frustration. We all deal with frustration, folks. I sometimes think like I have a PhD in frustration. <laughs> so, Murphy's Law, if it's possible for someone to step on your bunions, somebody will. And you can either Pursue it according to Yeshua's instruction, which we've looked at a couple of weeks ago, and grow through it, mature through it, be strengthened through it, or else you can do it by your own understanding, by your own frustration, and produce all kinds of fruits of the flesh, and frankly, that is garbage. You know, you may have heard the expression that if you try to give someone a piece of your mind, you typically end up losing your peace of mind. And what the Word of God tells us here is that we need to learn to speak the truth in love. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Speaking the truth in love does not mean to be brutally honest. Where you come up to someone and you say, you know, your attitude stinks. And uh, furthermore, um, I see that you are not in right relationship with God. I can tell that. And you need to repent because of what you've done to me, but... That, folks, is not speaking the truth in love. The truth is, we can share what has taken place. The facts, the evidence. The offense that has taken place. And you say, you have offended me, you have hurt me. Here's what took place. And then you leave the judgment to God, since you are not the righteous judge. Neither one of us. You can't speak to the, to the motives of the person's heart since you're not God. You can only speak about the facts on the ground and leave the rest with, with God. 
Speaking the truth in love. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? It's not like one of these ethereal, mystical, philosophical ideas of love and goodness and beauty and so on. Love, folks, simply means in this context that you are interested in the welfare of the other individual. You care about the other individual. Your point, your goal here is not just to get a bunch of stuff off your chest so that you feel better or to put them in their place. Your goal is to say to them, to say to the individual, you've offended me and because you want to see the relationship restored. That's what Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 18. When you do that, the goal is to win the brother or the sister that there will be restoration. Now, I've lived long enough. I'm, as, as my better half pointed out, I am 64. Tomorrow, Tomorrow yes. <laughs> and I know that what the Word of God tells us is the ideal that we often don't live up to. We want to pursue the ideal, but if it looks like it's not happening, then we back out. Well, the truth is, even if it doesn't seem to happen the way we think it's supposed to happen, the way the Word of God tells us, we still persevere. It may take a day or two or a month or even a year. And we persevere and we say, Lord, you commanded me to be in unity. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but I want to obey you. Because remember what the Torah tells us, what the Word of God in general tells us, is that there's blessing and obedience. You obey God, He blesses you. Even in those hard things. That, folks, is what spiritual maturity is about. And what Paul tells us here is as we do that, we will grow. We will no longer be babies, kind of battered around from this side to this side, etc. We will grow towards the Lord, and we would learn to serve. That, by the way, is why we devote an entire class in our membership course to deal with how does one deal with conflict because we feel it's, it's that important. And we also have the policy that anyone participating in serving the Lord at the Yeshua Tzion be committed to reconciliation. Why? Because that's what God tells us. And as we do that, we grow into maturity. Again, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And we, we fuss and fume and have our conversations with the Almighty. But of course, when we have conversations with the Almighty, you know who wins. Always directed towards Yeshua, towards coming to know the Lord more fully. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. If Yeshua receives the prominent building, billing, 
if he fills the screen, then yes, we will grow together. And part of the picture that the Word of God says is that we learn to serve. We learn to serve together. And every one of us is needed, folks. Every one of us is needed. The contributions each of us make is essential. Interdependence without without the service that each of us provide, we're handicapped. So each Shabbat, we have a number of folks who do that. And I just want to acknowledge them, not because they need a swell head, but simply to recognize them as examples each Shabbat before we come, Floyd and Sharon and Dee come and set up. Linda and the rest of the worship team, Isaac, Grant, and Michaela and others set up the worship. Linda and the dancers prepare. Steve and Paula greet. Michael prepares for the Torah service and other things. Linda Hecker prepares for the work of outreach. Joe, whom we have prayed, takes care of the nursery and the work with the kids and et cetera, et cetera. And I can go on, and if I didn't mention your name, please extend, extend chesed to me. The point simply is that this is God's house in order for us to grow and function. You are needed. Amen. You are needed in the capacity that God has given you. And part of the picture is that we learn to grow together. Every so often people come and they, they notice the fact that we have been growing numerically. And my response to them is we've been growing invisibly all along. Why? Because God has been working on us. He's been working on, on the heart issues, doing the deep stuff here. And as we have been able to respond to the deep stuff here, the fruit of it has been outward and visible signs of growth numerically. We haven't done anything different. God has been doing all the work. We have just been responding to him. And the result is the growth. And that's his purpose, folks. I'm saying all this to encourage you because you have a stake and what takes place in your mishpacha. You have ownership. You have ownership. How we grow and how we develop, how we mature in the Lord involves you and your contribution. And perhaps you are looking, hearing this and saying, you know, this is very nice, but it's pie in the sky by and by. Um... I've been elsewhere, I've been bit elsewhere, and I'm not going to open myself up to any more hurt. I'm going to protect myself. There's a problem with that. Who then is your protector? 
who then is your protector? If it's you, I'm sorry for you. I have compassion for you. Because none of us can fully protect ourselves. It's only the Lord and His work in us. The Lord's call for us is transparency and openness towards each other. The Word of God is very unyielding, unrelenting in demanding that we learn to walk in the light, to speak the truth in love, rather than detach it calls on us to become more deeply engaged with our brothers and sisters where we have been worshiping, where the Lord has been bringing us. That, folks, is normal. Everything else is an aberration that the Lord wants to correct. And He is at work. He is at work in your life, in my life, to bring things into order, into compliance with His will, Let's determine that we're going to collaborate and work with him in doing that work. Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, bless your name. We thank you, Abba Father, that you know us, you understand our struggles, our foolishness, our sin, and you love us. In fact, you have loved us with an everlasting love. And Lord, we don't understand how all of that works, and we don't need to. We simply, Lord God, want to walk in the path that you have prepared for us towards wholeness, towards maturity, towards unity, that through all of that, Lord, that you would be honored and exalted in our life, in our actions, in the fruit that comes from us, inwardly and outwardly. We ask all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.